Can I tell you something, church? Man, we are a part of something so very special. And God is doing some amazing ministry through you. We're part of a, a grand story. You know, we opened up our Vincent's campus two weeks ago, and I was reminded of a truth. I've been reminded of a truth over the last few months of this, that the church of Jesus Christ on earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one. That we are one church in multiple locations with the desire to help people come to, to know God, to live free, to find purpose, and to be difference makers. And as I, I, I say that, I recognize that we also stand united with other believers across this, this world that have the same hope that we have and have the same responsibility to call others to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I recognize that you all, you all are appointing others to Christ by your influence in their life. So I think we need, we need to start to, to celebrate. I think we need to be more willing to throw some, some parties of victory about what the God of this universe is doing through, through his church. You know, I heard a story of a life-saving station off the coastline. Um, this station was uh, what well, was old and tattered, and inside its walls were, uh, was a committed crew. Uh, the crew was devoted to keeping watch over the turbulent seas, and just outside that door um, of that station was some rough ocean. Selflessly, these guys would, would head into the mess of the sea in front of them, and they would look for those in danger and those that were lost. And through their efforts, many lives were brought to safety by their courageous acts of bravery. As the story goes, as the years passed, more and more people were saved because of this little tattered shack and the crew with inside. Those saved became aware of that bravery, and they wanted to help the old tattered station. And they were willing to give of their time and their energy and their resources. They helped to, to purchase new life-saving boats. New crews were, cha uh, were trained. And the, the old tattered station, well, it was uh, no longer insignificant as it once had seemed. It began to grow. Yet as it grew, some of the members were not so happy with the facilities. Like they wanted it to be a little bit nicer, so they felt that the, the comfortable... Um, uh, that new comfortable beds should be provided. Emergency cots were replaced with comfortable furniture. Old handmade rough equipment was uh, renewed with more sophisticated and classy of systems. And, and all this uh, needed more room, so they built new huts um, for all this to be stored in. And by its completion, the life-saving station had become a, a pretty cool place. And a place, a gathering point for many across the coastline. It was attractive, and many had begun to see it as a lovely clubhouse. But saving lives, feeding the hungry, helping the sick, strengthening the weary, that seemed to rarely occur those days. Fewer and fewer people were interested in, in saving lives at the turbulent sea. Shipwrecks still occur outside the doors of that old tattered station that's not so tattered any longer. But now most of its victims, they go unsaved. Everyday people perish at the hand of the cruel seas, and it would seem that nobody cares anymore. Church, it is my prayer that that never becomes the story of this place. You know, here at Bethany, methods are going to change, right? Buildings are going to be built. Ministries are going to mature. And seasons may come to an end. But let me tell you this. The message will always be the same. It will always be Christ. We believe that the message of Christ has to be the driving force of this place. May we start with God, stay with God, and, and end with God. 
You know, I'm in my sixth year of ministry here at Bethany, and uh, a lot has changed in six years. Um, many of you weren't here six years ago, and uh, can I tell you this? Six years ago, people were thinking about you, thinking about how they could reach you with the love of Christ, thinking about how they could help you to come to know God and to live free. And now that you are here, I believe God has called us together with a purpose, to be difference makers in our communities. Christ has called us into this, this grand story that is his. You see, I understand that we aren't the old tattered station because I believe we've kept our purpose at Bethany. I see it in the story of this, this church, and I say that not as a building, but as you. I see it in the story of you, the church, God's people. You know, I see it in the 55 people that planted themselves into the Vincennes community to help establish a church there. I see it in the lives of countless people that helped to, to launch in that, that space, to help that place be successful at the, the beginning and the start of it. I've seen it in the many of you who took on the challenge that we've given you over the last year to start thinking about that one person, right? That, that one person that you would, man, you'd do anything for them to come to know Christ. And you took it to heart. You started praying for that person. And you started thinking of ways that you could have interactions with that person. You started thinking about how important that person was in your life. And then you, you took the steps, Right? You walked across the lawn and you met that neighbor. You called up the family member who you hadn't talked to for years. You started making your conversations at the lunch table with that buddy well, go a little bit differently. You started to tell them about the hope that you had in Jesus. And maybe, maybe just maybe, that person is sitting beside you this morning, worshiping with you. You know, I, I've seen it and watched it and how you have interacted with your community, how you've shown love to those that maybe aren't always easy to love, welcoming the committed, the casual, the callous, and the critic with the same love that Christ has shown you. I've, I've heard it uh, from the people that have walked into uh, this place and our place in Vincennes. They, they said things like, man, you guys are just so approachable. You guys just seem to be so welcoming. You're authentic. I, don't feel, I feel like I could talk to anybody in this place, and they would, they would show me love and encouragement. I've known it by the decisions of faith that have happened, of people giving their life to the Lord, being buried with Christ in the baptistry, and being raised to walk a new life. I know it to be true because I've recognized that it's not about your glory. It's about God's glory. There's something so special about that. But can I tell you this, church? Man, I, I believe the adversary would have no greater joy than for us to get off purpose and to make it about our, ourselves, for us to stray from his, his way and to make, it about, to make it about our way. With each month that passes, ministry's gonna expand at this place. Buildings are going to come to completion and ministry will take place. But let me remind you this, we are nothing. We are nothing without Christ. We are a people that live in communities that simply want more to come to know who Jesus is. Buildings like ours here in Washington or buildings like that in Vincennes, these things are going to take shape, but we're not, in the build, we're not in the projects or the business of building projects, right? We're in the business of people projects. Here at Bethany, we believe that great facilities can harbor great ministry, but they can't carry it out. Jesus is the hope of the world. 
But can I tell you this, church? You are the vehicle that is going to bring that hope to the world. This is all a wash if we forget the reason why we gather. Our partnership with one another serves little purpose if we forget who we first partnered with. We believe in the truth of Christ, that God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, that he sent his one and only son, and that Jesus lived a sinless life, but then he died a sinner's death. But he did that for you and for me, and we believe that now because of that, we are in right relationship with God because of the blood shed at the cross of Christ. And we believe that as a community of believers, that Bethany has one church in multiple locations, that we have an influence for the cause of Christ. Influence that I believe is going to change southern Indiana and beyond. Jude, verse 20, says this about what the church should be. It says, but you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt and save others by snatching them from the fire. You know, I love this language here at the end of this passage. I love it because it's straight to the point. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be understanding with those that struggle with questions and doubts about faith. You know, at Bethany, we welcome the devoted and the doubter. And we recognize that now we have a sway, we have an influence on those that regularly connect with us. And that sway and that power then allows us to go up to the very pits of hell and to snatch people away from an eternity void from God. When Christ died, he left us responsible. He left us responsible to continue his ministry. He told us that. I mean, Jesus is on the earth. He's doing these amazing miracles. And in John 14, verse 12, it says, I tell you for certain that if you have faith in me, you will do the same thing that I am doing. No, no, you'll do even greater things now that I am going back to the Father. As one minister put it, God is not calling you to go to church. God is calling you to, to be the church, the hope of the world. We believe in the strength of the local church. Why? Because Jesus believed in the strength of the local church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're gonna, we're gonna, it's on page 797 in the Bibles that are just in front of the, the chairs in front of you. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 16 throughout our time this morning. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples in this passage. All right, so, so Jesus um, is speaking to them about the church, words of the church that really are going to echo from generation to generation. Over centuries of difficulty and ministry. Words that explain where the church can find their hope and recognize their strength. Really words of the establishment and the endorsement of what the church is called to be. You know, in the late 16th century, um, there, there, there wasn't GPS technology, right? There wasn't satellite technology. You couldn't go, hey, Siri, take me to such and such. Like, there's some of you in this room that you would get lost without Siri, all right? Uh, you would not know where to go and how to get there, all right? Not back, back then. No, they used, they used the Northern Star as their guiding point to get them from one place to another. Now, in French and Latin terms, that star was often referred to as sinusura. Um, that, that meant it was, uh, it was a focal point. Now, astronomers and navigators in that day believed that 
All the stars revolved around this one particular star, the North Star. Now, we recognize that as being in the constellation of Ursa Minor, probably better known today as the Little Dipper. That's what I tell my daughter it is, right? Look, it looks like a scoop, right? (laughs) And the Northern Star had this central guiding place. And so, as the years had passed, that term of Sinashura um, began to be used in our English term, we call it sinecure, and it's used to often um, point to the idea of something that has to be the central focus. Now, we believe that Jesus must be the center of all that we do. Jesus has to be the focal point. Jesus has to be the sinecure. With Jesus, we have everything we need. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Jesus has to be the focal point because at At the foundation of our faith is the cross of Christ in an empty tomb. That's why we meet here. That's why we we meet together as a body of Christ, because we believe that Jesus really did die on the cross, and he raised from the dead and left that tomb empty. He has to be the center of all that we do. Now take a look at verse 13 of our passage. It says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now the pressure is mounting in Jesus' day. The days are becoming limited. Who did people say he was? I don't know. Did Did Jesus really not know? I mean, the word on the street was out. I think that he probably knew that. Well, he is the son of God. I, I think that he probably knows what's, what's taking place here. I don't know as much that he's trying to figure out who he is. I think he's trying to figure out and help the, the disciples understand who they are because of who he is. John the Baptist? Uh, I mean, John the Baptist had come doing a mighty work, proclaiming the coming of the Lord, right? I have come to prepare a way for the Lord. John the Baptist was beheaded. I mean, John the Baptist was a good guy, a great guy. But he wasn't Jesus. Maybe Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was a prophet, a prophet of reform, a prophet of hope. He told of the coming Messiah. Okay, maybe Jesus is some sort of reincarnate Jeremiah. No, it's not Jesus. Elijah? I mean, Elijah was a miracle worker. Some people refer to Elijah as the prophet of power. But Jesus had power. Jesus had surely done quite a few miracles. He's no Elijah. I mean, each of these prophets of the past had significance, but but Christ was so much more. John the Baptist said it himself, the one that comes after me, I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes on this guy's feet. These men were the promoter. Jesus was the promoted. Who do you say I am? That's what he asked him. Peter gave the response, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And there you have it. You are the Messiah, the son 
of the living God. There's something about what is said there. It's a, it's a turning point in Scripture. In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's from this moment on that you begin to see, uh, see the, that Matthew begins to share of the stories of Jesus now telling them about his, his last days and the death that is awaiting him at the cross. You are the Messiah, the promised one, our Savior. You're the Son of God. Now, Jesus praises Peter's response, right? It's like, Gosh, Peter, well done, all right, son of Jonah. God's revealed this to you. And then he goes on and he says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Now, let me tell you this. Sometimes the church has gotten something wrong here and they think that Jesus is speaking of Peter and the church is going to be built on Peter. Can I remind you of something? Mankind is mortally flawed. Like, God realized this. He's not going to build his church on a man. No, no, what he's saying here to Peter is on that confession, on that conviction, on that response that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the thing that will be the foundation of the church. And to this day, that essential conviction is the thing that unites us here at Bethany across campuses. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the confession we make in the baptistry. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what we say. So it's on that that we are going to build the church. You know, the term church in this uh, passage is ecclesia. Ecclesia means the called out ones. It's actually the very first time that this is used um, in the New Testament. I love to think about that. Jesus is the one that established the church. Uh, He's the one that used this language first. Now, ecclesia is used 99 more times throughout Scripture. And the church is, is more than just some sort of religious institution. It's more than just some building. It's more than just some ethnic group. The church is a group of people that are committed to being Christ followers, committed around that central purpose of Christ. You know, of those 99 more times that it's used in the New Testament, 90 of those times it refers to the local congregation of believers. So if the establishment of the church is built on the confession of who Christ is, then if Christ isn't the sinner, we are nothing without him. So let's be honest. There's some local churches that have strayed from this, that have forsaken their first love, that have forgotten Christ, right? Cultural relevance, uh, the adversary's scheme, greed, pride, selfish ambition, and a whole lot of sin has caused a lot of issues in our culture. And it's caused a lot of churches to walk away and walk into an ever-widening path of destruction. And there are places that dress up and they have this resemblance of the church, but they have forgotten of which of what gives them power and why they meet together. God's word makes it clear. Christ better be the center of all that we do. You know, if the church was a building, then you got to have a foundation. Now, the scripture says this. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know what that means? That Jesus has to be the foundation. Now, if you know anything about construction, if you're an engineer in here, what happens if you remove the foundation from a facility? The walls come tumbling down, right? No foundation, no building. No Christ, no church. It's also referred to throughout Scripture as Christ being the head of the church and then what the church being the body of Christ. Now, if you are to lop off the head, 
Guys, no walking dead around here, all right? No head, no body. No Christ, no church. We recognize that Christ has to be the center of all we do. And at Bethany, if we do that, if we make him the center, more are going to enter. I truly believe that. If we make Christ the center, I think more are going to enter through our doors at both of our campuses. I think they're going to be able to hear the gospel. If we lift high the name of Jesus, more and more people are going to be drawn to him. But not only are they going to enter through the doors of a building, they're going to enter into relationships with you all. And they're going to get to know who you are. And they're going to get to experience Christ's love. And then once they have that relationship with you, then they're going to, they're going to enter into a relationship with Christ. They're going to come to know who Jesus is as their personal Lord and Savior. You know, in physical fitness, a strong core can have great impact uh, on the strength of the rest of our body. All right, so uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily a picture of fitness. Like, I don't have a, a strong core. That's not my greatest of strength. Maybe it's because I have a predisposition to carry some of my weight right here in the middle, or maybe it's because I have a predisposition to eat a few donuts, all right? Uh, let me have a little grace right here, all right? Uh, but I truly believe that if uh, you have a strong core, and I mean, science shows us this, if you have a strong core, you can, you can lift well, right? You want to have, want to up your max? On curls, strong core. You want to up your max on bench, squat, clean, you name it, strong core, you're going to have stronger extremities. So here's the great truth. If we put Christ at the center of all that we do, he's the core of what we do, he blesses it, and we become stronger because of it. You know, I've often had ministry friends that have reached out to me, and they know that I'm uh, doing ministry in southern Indiana, and a town like Washington or Vincennes, and they'll, they'll, they'll kind of look at me like, where is Washington again? Or where, where is Vincennes? I'm not, I'm not really sure where those places are at. And how, are you, how are you guys growing? How are you that, there's, how big is the church? What are you? And I look at them, and I get to just simply tell them, we keep the central thing the central thing. And when we do that, God has, has blessed that. Because we believe the church becomes an unstoppable force of hope when Christ is at the center. Look back with me at our passage, Matthew 16. We're going to read at verse 18. It says this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, as I began writing this sermon, let me just be honest with you for a moment. I felt a little arrogant. Like, I was, I was going to be touting some of the things that Bethany has been successful with. There were some phrases and some things that I had written down that were just not typically my way of communicating. And I wondered, man, there's some folks that are new to our, to our congregation. There, there are people that have just walked through the doors for the very first time over the last few weeks here at Bethany, and they're going to hear me say some of these things, and they're going to say, dude, that guy is arrogant. But then I was reminded of this language. I was reminded of the language that is shared here, and, and I thought, you know what? I don't need to be apologetic about what Christ is doing. This isn't about me boasting about myself. This is me boasting about what Christ is doing through you all, through his church. Let me give you a little example. Let's pretend there's two ball teams that are really, really good one year. You've got the MSU Cats and the UT Bears, and they're going to be playing the championship game at the Samson Fieldhouse. I know all of you are like, who in the heck is that? They're made-up teams, all right? You, you can, like, I, there is no such thing as the MSU Cats, all right? Um, but we're, for pretend's sake, just pretend here with me. MSU Cats, the UT Bears, they're going to play at Samson Fieldhouse. Now, you want to go to the game, but the game, well, the game sold out. So you're like, that's all right. I know I can go find some tickets on StubHub, right? You go over to StubHub, and you're like, you're looking for tickets. You're like, 
what? These, these tickets are going for astronomical prices. You're like, no way. I'm not paying that price to go to that ball game. Um, at least you're not going to pay that price, but you're going you're gonna to go get some scalper tickets, right? So you go down to the ball game. You're like, I'm going to find me some scalpers. The scalpers are trying to gouge everybody. So you call me up and you say, Evan, I'm telling you this. I'm going to see the big game and the gates of Samson Fieldhouse will not prevail, right? Samson Fieldhouse's gates aren't going to come chasing you down, right? Samson Fieldhouse turnstiles aren't going to come bop you in the head, right? That's not what you're saying. You're saying, I'm getting into the game. When Jesus said, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, Jesus is not picturing the church meeting together, huddled up in a corner, afraid of what's taking place, on the defense, scared, taking the blows from the adversary. Quite the opposite. Jesus is picturing his church on the move, on the offense. He's saying that the church is going to go to the very pits of hell, and there you're going to Bring people back from the destruction and the desperation that's going to await them, an eternity void of Christ. He sees the church on on the move. And that's exactly what the early church did. In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the disciples have been given the promised Holy Spirit. These guys have been waiting for Jesus. It's been 50 days since Jesus was on the cross. They're sitting in this room, and the Holy Spirit comes down on them, and they start speaking in all kinds of different languages. Now, some people actually thought they were drunk. That's what Scripture tells us. They're like, these guys have just been drinking too much. But then they suddenly realized, no, these are all like understood languages. And they're telling about who Jesus is. And then suddenly kind of, it seems like the crowd quiets down. And, and Peter steps up and Peter lays out this message. The message goes something like this. You know that, that Jesus, and the ones that you crucified 50 days ago, he arose from the grave. He was the son of God. You killed the son of God. The scripture says that the people were cut to the heart, is a term that it uses. They're cut to the heart and they say, what do we do? What should we do? They ask Peter. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what? 3,000 people were snatched from the pit of hell that day. Actually, it's 3,000 men. We think it's probably more <laughs> because it doesn't include the women in that. You know that the religious elite of that day tried to squash it. They're like, okay, we got to stop people from talking about Jesus. Can't talk about Jesus anymore. They try to set up their gates. The gates will not prevail. From its inception, the church has been persecuted, but the church will not be stopped. And here at Bethany, we recognize that same thing to be true today, that if we boldly proclaim the name of Jesus, that we're going to be on the offense, and we're going to become an unstoppable force of hope in our communities. I'm not going to apologize. I am not going to apologize for our desire to keep Christ at the center of all that we do. I'm not going to apologize for for becoming an unstoppable force of hope because that's what Christ wants us to be. I mentioned to you that I'm in my sixth year of ministry. And in those six years, I've I've been blessed to see some pretty amazing things happen. You know, we've tripled in size in six years. Do you know that over 500 people Over 500 people have given their life to the Lord in the baptistry over the last six years. Hundreds of thousands of people have come to know Christ through this church. And I believe it's just the beginning here at Bethany. Our influence is only widened with our campus in Vincennes. And if you're new to Bethany, let me tell you this. Get ready to join the fun. Like, you are a part of the next generation of participation. You are a part of the next generation of people that are going to go out knowing who Christ is and making a difference in your communities. 
And if you've been here at Bethany for a few years, or you've been here for many years, can I tell you this? Keep up the good work. Keep being sold out to your faith. Keep being bold about what you are doing. Keep going up to the very pits of hell, snatching people away from the fire. And if you're sitting here this morning, and you're one of those people that has doubts or questions, can I tell you this? We're not going to give up. It's our goal to reach all people. I want as many people to know about Jesus because of this place, because of you all, because of your love for the Lord. And if you have those doubts and questions, it's as simple as this. All you have to do is say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, I heard a story of an old neglected house, uh, sat on an acre of land, and Story goes that a preacher bought that old house, and uh, he was going to fix it up. And I mean, the house was rough. Um, the house needed quite a bit of structural work, and the land itself was rough. There's all kinds of old rusty machinery hanging out on the property. There's old dilapidated fences. There's these trees that had been cut off and stumps in the middle of the yard. And so the preacher buys the house, and the preacher decides that uh, he's just on his on his downtime, uh, on his uh, off days, uh, on his vacations. He's going to roll up his sleeves and get the work done. So years go by, and he's putting in the work. He, he takes the stumps, and he gets rid of those, and he plants new trees in their place. He mends that old rickety fence and makes it look really nice. He does all the structural repairs that needed to happen to the house. He puts new windows on the home. He puts a new roof on it. He puts a fresh coat of paint. And he's getting to the end of his time fixing up this old place, and he's got his last project done. He's cleaning up, and a, and a neighbor comes by, and he says, well, preacher, Looks like uh, you and the Lord have done a pretty fine job on your place here. Preacher wipes the sweat from his brow and says, Yeah, I suppose so, but you should have seen it when the Lord had it all to himself. You know, as I read that, at first I'm like, Oh, that's funny. And then I'm like, Oh, man, is that the right attitude to have? That seems kind of arrogant. Can I tell you this? Does Christ need us to accomplish his work? I don't know. But Christ surely wants us to accomplish his work. There are things that will not happen if we don't do it. There are people that I believe may not come to know Christ if we don't go out and proclaim who he is to them. The flowers of the field, they could easily proclaim his glory. The birds of the air, Christ could use them. The beast of the field, God could use them. God could with a Snap of his fingers. Tell the world about who he is. But guess what? He chose you. He chose you. And he chose you. He chose you to be the ones that kept Christ at the center, become an unstoppable force of hope, and shared who he was. How do we know that? Remember that passage from John 14? I tell you for certain that if you have faith in me, you will do the same thing that I am doing. Noah, you will do even greater things now that I am going back to the Father. So here at Bethany, we believe in the strength of the local church.